We are continuing on this series on the book of Ephesians, and I've been challenging you guys over the last couple of weeks to bring your Bible, so hold them up if you got it. Wave it at me. Let me see who's got a Bible today. Incredible. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, guess what? We've got Bibles, and so if you need one, let us know. We have them. All of our our, uh, prayer team has a stack of them on each side of the wall. We would love to get a Bible in your hands if you need one. Uh, You can see one of our ushers at any time that are, you know, all over the place at the back and stuff, and they will give you a Bible. We love to give you that. It's the greatest gift ever, and so, uh, so keep your Bibles. Have them with you. And I know that it's hard to take notes with a Bible in your lap and your notebook in your lap and all that, but uh, mark it up. It's going to be, it's, it's worth it, I promise. So we are taking our time to go through the book of Ephesians. It is powerful. It is rich. Um, it is such a great book to study. And, and I know that when you do uh, studies like this, uh, where you just take it chapter by chapter, it, 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 it's preached a little different, it's communicated a little different. You can't just cherry pick things. You just you take it at, at what it is. When you read it, you got to talk about it. And so that's why I like doing it, because we just get to examine the scriptures and uh, whatever comes up, comes up, and we get to talk about it. So I love that. And we saw in chapter one that as Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's reminding them of who they are in Christ. And in Christ is a common theme through this book of, of Ephesians. And, and uh, he starts off by just reminding them of the spiritual blessings that they have in Christ and how that they, that they are chosen even before the foundations of the world. God chose us and that he, he called us and he redeemed us back to himself. And, and just all these blessings that we, we talked about, how we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, and so it's just a, a great time of, of seeing who we are in Christ. And remember, he, he started this off as a call to worship, to praise God. And so we're praising God for these blessings. We're thankful for these blessings. And then we get to chapter two. And in chapter two, Paul gives us kind of a 30,000-foot view of our spiritual journey. He, he, he is challenging the believers to not forget where they came from, to think back on all that God's done in their life again so that they can worship. It's all about worshiping him and a call to worship him. And so we see that, that Paul is telling the, the believers there, hey, I want you to go back. I want you to go back in your mind to the days before you were found in Christ. I want you to go back to those days, what I call the BC days, my before Christ days. I don't know if anybody has any of those before Christ days, but uh, where, go back in your mind to where you were a heathen, right? Where you were wicked, you were far from God and doing a bunch of stupid stuff. And Paul, he's getting the church to do that. He's like, I want you to go back to this, to remember back before God changed you, before you had this encounter with Christ. And so I would love for us to do that, to go back in our minds, to be thinking about that as we read these scriptures. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and, and open them. I would have you stand, but last week that was a, that was a, a hot mess. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll just uh, stay where you're at. No, I'm kidding. We will stand um, for three verses. I'm not going to pray just yet. Um, We're going to read these verses. Ephesians chapter 2. We're just going to read three verses and then we'll pray. If you want to stand to your feet, this is just an awesome way to show honor to the Lord. This isn't for anything else but to honor Him uh, because this isn't just another book. And this is the God, God's words right here, alive and active. And so Ephesians chapter 2, if you have your place in verse 1, you're ready to read, say, let's go. Let's go. That's it. This is Paul. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's pause right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. It's alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. But Lord, right now, this word is, is truth to us. It's light to us. It teaches us. And so we right now, we open our hearts to receive, to be taught, to be convicted, to be corrected, to be encouraged. Whatever you have for us today, speak Holy Spirit by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, can you say amen as you're seated today? Amen. 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 So Paul is painting this picture of our life before Christ. And he's using some very strong words. Uh, he, out the gate, he is saying, um, before your life in Christ, you were dead. He's like, you were dead. And so today, just allow me for the next couple of minutes to, uh, to talk around this subject, uh, from death to life. From death to life. And Paul right here is saying, you were dead. And now on the, on the surface, if you were to think about, well, Paul, you said I'm dead, but yet I'm walking. I'm, I'm dead in my sin, but I'm walking and following the course of this world. How is it that I can be dead and still walk? Like, how can I be walking dead? Is that TV series really true? I thought it was pretend, but Paul, you're saying that I was dead and now I'm walking. Well, obviously here, Paul is talking not about physical death, but about spiritual death. And he's talking about how all of us, before we were found in Christ, were spiritually dead. You see, before your new life in Christ, you were spiritually dead. And I know that that is something that we're like, oh, i got to wrap my head around that. What does Paul mean about being spiritually dead? Well, from the beginning, with Adam and Eve and in the garden, and God tells Adam, you know, don't eat of this fruit from this tree or you'll surely die. It wasn't a physical death, it was a spiritual death that Adam would die. Why? Because in that moment that they ate of that apple, they were then separated from God. And that separation there caused spiritual death. And that's Genesis chapter 3, that's the fall of man. And ever since the first Adam, every human after that has been born, as, as the Bible says, a children of wrath. We are separated by nature, we are separated from God because of the sin that dwells in us. And Paul says that, that you, are, you are dead because of that sin and because of those trespasses. Now, those are two separate words there. Sin is an archery term, and maybe you're familiar with that, that term, but it, let's just say we're shooting best out of 10 in archery, and nine of those arrows, I hit the bullseye nine times in a row, but number 10, I, I'm off a little bit. That's sin. It doesn't matter how many times I hit the bullseye. If I missed it one time, I missed the mark. That's sin. And the Bible's clear. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short in uh, the glory of God. But the wages of that sin, what that produces, what that's going to pay me is death. And it's a spiritual death. And then he goes on to say trespasses. This is very important for us to understand. Trespasses is different than a sin. Because a sin is something that we, we're, trying to, we're, doing, we're trying to do right. We're trying to do right. I, I hit 9 out of 10. I'm trying to do good, and, and I just missed the mark. I fell short. But a trespass is when you deliberately cross the line. It's like I deliberately miss the mark. I know that it's wrong. I know that I shouldn't do it, but I do it anyway. 
That is what Paul is talking about when it says trespass here. And so he's painting this picture of understanding that, that uh, by our natural self, our flesh, who we are as humans, that, man, we are spiritually dead, that you cannot understand the things of God if you are spiritually dead. It doesn't matter if you get a degree. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you read your Bible. You can still be spiritually dead. And that's why you would hear people say things like, well, man, I read this book and it didn't do anything for me. I didn't understand it. It didn't change me. It's because they were spiritually dead. They weren't alive in Christ. They haven't had that encounter with Christ yet. And so that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about that you used to be spiritually dead. You were walking and following the ways of the world. You were wandering away from God. You see, the walking dead follow the ways of this world, the course of this world. They do things like the world does. And we've been learning about that. We've been talking about the two tensions of the two kingdoms of how there's a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of light. There's a kingdom of this world. There's a kingdom of God. And so there's the world's view and there's the word's view. And we've seen the tension there of of how they're always uh, uh, battling for one another that I live in this world, but I'm not of this world. And so I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. I'm I'm just a passing through kind of person. Heaven is my home and earth is not. And so that's what Paul getting them to see and that that word following there means that if it if they offer it to me I take it if they offer me this I take it I'm just going to follow it and that's how it's so easy in the culture today that that they'll offer us something and we just take it we just blindly follow it we don't question it we don't look into it we don't try to understand it or discern it or pray about it it's like oh they're offering me this I'm going to take it and Paul says that when you do that you begin to wander you're wandering and you're following the course of this world. And anytime you're following something, you're also separating yourself from something else. And so you started here, but then you begin to wander. So now I have separated myself. I've, I've left my home position. And so anytime we follow the course of this world, we're wandering away from God. That's what Paul is getting them to say that. And he, put, he presses it. He uses some very strong language. He says that when you do this, That when you are following the ways of the world, you're actually following the prince of the power of the air. Well, who is that? That's Satan. That's the devil. He's saying that when you follow the world's way, you're actually following Satan. It's some very strong words here. And I think it's important for us to note that, that Satan has indeed been given authority over the world. Satan has been given authority over the world. You see, and you've seen your notes there, 1 John 5. I just gave you the reference. It says, it says this, the whole, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 2 Corinthians, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Even Jesus, John chapter 14, on his last night, he said this. He said, I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. And so it's clear that Satan has been given authority over the world. And when we follow the ways of the world, we're actually following Satan. It's some very heavy stuff. And that's why he says that that spirit, notice he says spirit, is in work. It's working in the sons of disobedience because Satan is a spirit. It's a spiritual battle and it's working in us. And so he's talking about how Satan is indeed after not our body, but our souls. And we've talked, we spent several weeks on talking about demonic influences and spirits and all that kind of stuff. But Paul is, is hitting this again. He's bringing it back to their memory to know that, that Satan, a spirit, an evil spirit, is at work in this world. And he's trying to get you to wander 
away from God. He wants you to be separated like he is. He wants you to spend eternity away from him. And so Paul is painting this picture here. And so when we, we talk about following, we talk about the ways of this world, I love what James says. You see the reference, it'll be on the screen. But James chapter 4, and James, no bones about it, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes enemy of God. Or, or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? I love that, that God gives us this, his spirit, but then jealously longs for us to come back to him in unity with that spirit. He gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God oppo- opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So submit yourselves then not to the world, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So James is telling us, man, that if you follow the course of this world, if you commit to that, if you're friends with the world, man, you are an enemy of God. And not that God sees you as an enemy, but that you placed yourself on the enemy's team. It's something that you did by following the ways of the world. You're not, you're not all of a sudden in God's eye an enemy. No, you're identifying as yourself as an enemy. You're putting yourself on that team, and God is is trying to get you back on that, that team with him. And so the big point that James makes is that you've got the world's way, you've got God's way, and they're opposing each other. And don't think for a minute that you can play over here on this team and it not affect you over here. That You've got to take it seriously. And then First John would tell us, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world... See if this sounds familiar. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so John, James, Paul, they're all talking about this right here. The passions of the flesh. Following the course of the world is going to, it's going to, you're going to desire the passions of the flesh. And so the ways of the world are to fulfill the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those, those things that the world offers us and attracts us and throws at us. He's saying, man, if you give in to that, then you're going to, if you fulfill the flesh, you're following the course of this world and not the course that God has for you. And, and, and he says, even in here in Ephesians 2, he says, by nature, you're children of wrath. By nature, it's natural for us to want to fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's natural for us to want to give in and satisfy our passions and our desires. It's natural for us to want to do what the world says. And, but just because it's natural doesn't mean that that's what God has for you. And that is what we face today in the culture is because it feels natural to me, then it must be okay. Because it feels natural to me, then it must be all right. Because if it feels natural, then God must have just made me this way. Why would, he make, why, would I feel, why would I feel like this if God didn't make me this way? But the Bible's clear that we're not just supposed to conform to the way that we feel, but that we're supposed to crucify our flesh. That we're supposed to beat it daily, as Paul says. That we die daily to Christ. That we crucify the passions and forsake it for the cost of Christ that we're, we're going to focus on what he's done. And so we're seeing this very sobering picture of Paul. He's like, man, you're dead. 
You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were an enemy of God. You were far from him. You were following the ways of this world. The work of Satan was in you. It's a very sobering, a very heavy message, a very tough part of this of this passage and he's he's getting them to go back and so i would just love for us in this moment to to go back every one of us would you remember your life before you were found in christ remember where you were before you gave your life in christ remember the addictions that you struggled with remember the depression that overtook you remember the loneliness remember the sin that was in your life remember the desires of the flesh that you gave into and I know that as your mind goes there, you're like, oh, God. oh, I don't want to remember that. Oh, man, I messed up. Oh, I don't want to remember that. That's not good. It wasn't good. It's painful. I, Paul, I get it. Okay, I messed up. I've done some bad things. I've hurt some people. I've lied. I've cheated. I've stole. Like, I've cursed God. Like, I get it. Can't we just move on? Like, can't, no, Paul's like, no, no, stay right there. Stay right there. Think about who you were, how messed up you were how lost you were, how undeserving of the name Christian you were, how undeserving of the spiritual blessings of God that you were, how you don't deserve any of it. Think about how you were lost. Think about how you were dead in your sin. Think about how you were deserving of punishment. Do you got that in your mind? Are you there? Go there right now in that place in your mind and then listen to verse number four. Ephesians chapter two, verse four says, but God. But God, but God rich in mercy, but God, not but the doctor, not but the therapist, not but the book I read, but not but my family, but God, but God rich in mercy because of his great love with he loved us. Even when we, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together in Christ by grace. You have been saved, but God, I think about my life. The loneliness, the pain, the anxiety, the depression. I think about the void that was in my heart as a child and and even as a teenager. And I think about the things that were being thrown at me. And and I tried to do whatever I could to take that void away, to fulfill it, to take away the pain, to take away the depression, to take away the hurt, to take away those, those thoughts. I did everything I could to consume, consume, consume. And then I realized that it was only making me worse. It wasn't until... I fully submitted to the Lord. I just said, okay, God, not my will, but your will. I'm tired of this. It was in that moment that I said, Lord, I don't deserve this. I didn't earn this. you You don't need to do anything for me. I'm nothing but filthy rags. But Lord, if you can use me, God, I just want to submit to you. And it was that but God moment, that moment in my life where I should be dead, that moment in a life where I should not have a relationship with him, that moment in my life where I shouldn't be married, I shouldn't have kids, I shouldn't be here today. It was a but God moment. And every one of us, as you've thought about that place before God and you think about where you are right now, you can see that but God moment. That, that in, in Christ now, because I'm alive in him, God did for me that which I could not do for myself, that I was undeserving of his mercy, undeserving of his love. You know, as, as I was preparing for this and thinking about this scripture, some stories came to mind. Some but God stories that, that I've heard personally just this year. And now I'm not going to share all the details and all the names, and, and I did, but I just, I just jotted a few down in my notes to help us today to realize that if God can do it for them, he can do it for you. 
to realize that God desires to have an encounter with you. And so I was addicted, hopeless, depressed, ready to end it all, but God, he saved me. I was let go from my job, not knowing how to make ends meet, but God, he provided for me. I was injured at work and it should have killed me, but God, he spared my life. My marriage was over, the papers were filed, but God, we are now restored. I was sick and on my deathbed. The doctors called in my family to say their goodbyes. The family surrounded me to pray for me. My brother prayed for me. And then they unhooked me to let me pass on. But God had different plans. I'm supposed to be dead, but God. On my third attempt at suicide, I put the gun to my head in front of my wife and I pulled the trigger, but God, the bullet was striked, but it never fired. The weapon was formed, but it did not prosper. God had different plans for my life. Listen to me, church. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. If he can do it for them, he can do it for you. But God, rich in his mercy, even when I was addicted, hopeless, depressed, even when I was far from him, he saved me. He rescued me. That's what Romans 5 says. Paul echoes it and he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly, not the godly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God, he shows us his love that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was dead in my sin, but God. I didn't deserve it, but God did it anyway. He does, he does it anyway. And so get out of your mind this thought that I've got to clean myself up. I've got to do this and do that before I can come to God, before I can approach him. God wants to give you a free gift, a gift of salvation, a gift of hope, a gift of restoration, that you can have a relationship with him. That when I was unlovable, he loved me. That when I was unsavable, he saved me. And not only that, verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that not only did he do that for us, but he also raised us up with Christ. He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, what's he saying? He's saying we were dead, but God raised us up with Christ. He seated us in a place of position and authority with Christ. He's saying that in Christ, dead things can come back to life. That in Christ, dead things can come alive. That Christ physically died and we were spiritually dead. That Christ physically resurrected and then we spiritually resurrected. That you can have new life. That while you're spiritually dead and wandering from God and away from God, you cannot help yourself because you're dead. A dead person can't help themselves. A dead person can't resurrect themselves. And so it's so important for the church for us to understand, to know that those people that are not followers of Christ, they're spiritually dead. And this is important for us because you can do everything in your power. You can yell at them until you're blue in the face. You can talk to them all about the principles and the blessings of God and what God wants to do in their life. And it's like you're talking to a brick wall. Because these scriptures will not help them until the one who breathed these scriptures gets in them. 
And so they, they, don't need to, they don't need to know the next best thing. They don't need a self-help kind of situation. They need an encounter with Christ. And so our job is to present to them the gospel message that God wants to have an encounter with them. That he sent his son to die for them so that he can then live in them and have this encounter with them. And so Christ brings these dead things back to life. And then Paul would go on to say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that this is not your own doing, that it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. So none of this was our doing. I didn't earn this. I didn't deserve this. I didn't go to church X number of times, and all of a sudden now I'm saved. I didn't read my Bible front to back, and now I'm saved. Paul is making it clear that this is a free gift. Salvation is a gift. And I want us to to understand this today because it's so easy for us to say, yeah, I get that and move on, that we forget that it's a gift, that you didn't earn it, that you didn't deserve it. You're not worthy of the name Christian, that God... God in his love and his grace and his mercy, he gifted you salvation. And so we can't get confused and get arrogant or get religious and think that it's because of me. That's why Paul said that no man may boast. Because what do we do? Well, I earned this. I deserve this. Yeah, 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 God gives me this. No, 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 no. As, soon, as quick as he gives it, he can take it away. And so we should not be boastful. We should understand that he is a good father who gives good gifts to his children. And now that we're in Christ, Paul gets to this point in verse 10. This is where we'll end today, in verse 10. And he tells us some of the why, why we're in Christ. It says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so Paul's telling us what he saved us from the ways of the world and the power of darkness and the kingdom of darkness. And he, he saved us from all this. He chose us and redeemed us. Now he's saying what he saved you for, that you have a job, you have a purpose, that you're his workmanship. You're created by him for him, that he designed you, not this world. This world did not design you. They don't give you your identity. It's found in Christ. And so Paul is getting them to realize their divine design. That you have a divine design, that the creator created you and you're nothing but a creation and there is a divine design for your life. He's getting them to understand their influence and their purpose and their authority and what you can walk out as a Christian. That Paul is letting them know that the world does not define your life. That he chose you and redeemed you and created you on purpose for a purpose. God did a work in you so that then God can work through you that he's done stuff in your life so that he can then work through your life, that you were created on purpose, for a purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, Paul's already told us in the beginning, for the praise and the honor of his glory, that we are created on purpose for the purpose of praising and honoring Jesus Christ, that there's no other purpose on this world, that you will not be fulfilled until you dedicate and commit yourself to praising and honoring in everything you do, 
whether word or deed, you do it all for the glory of God. That's why you were created. That's why you do that. And the moment that you step into that cycle of leaving the course of the world, stop wandering away from God and start wandering towards God, the moment that you do that, you step in this cycle where you leave the darkness, you're now in light. And your light is shining so bright that those people that are still in darkness, they see your good works because you were created for good works. They see your good works, and the Bible says that they will praise God on the day of his visitation. Well, the only people that can praise God on the day of his visitation are children of God, people that have submitted to him. So what the Bible is saying is that when you're now in this cycle of walking out the Word's way of life and doing what the Word says, then then your light is going to shine so bright around your coworkers, around your family, around your friends, around your neighbors, and they're going to see your good works that God has predestined beforehand for you to walk in, and they are going to give their life to Christ. You're going to be able to share with them that I once too was dead. I once was dead in my sin and my trespasses, far from God, following the ways of the world. And I was dead, but verse 4 hit my life. But God, rich in His mercy and His love for me, Even when I still was messed up and jacked up and broken and confused, he still saved me. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. And that's your testimony that God wants you to share. That's the mission that you've been sent on this earth to accomplish is to tell people, but God, but God, that he can bring dead things back to life, that you're not too far gone, that we were created on purpose. And that purpose is to praise and to honor Jesus Christ. And so in this moment here, as we move now into a time of reflection, I want us to bow our heads and begin to think about where we were before Christ. Maybe for some, it's not your past, but it's your present. That in this moment, if you're being honest with yourself, you're not in Christ. You've been following the ways of this world. You've been a trying to do the right thing, but you never had an encounter with Christ. We just take this time as a church and we take time to reflect. Today is the day for many of us, we're going to go from death to life. And as the church now is is reflecting and they're allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to them, to speak to them, for some in the house, you're going to discover your divine design, that you were not created by accident, that God did not make a mistake when he created you, but that he has a purpose for your life. And you're going to be found in Christ today. We take this time to reflect and we take this time to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and then we move into a response time. It's a time where we respond through worship, through prayer, through the altar. There's something powerful about just getting on your knees before the Lord and bringing a sacrifice. You are the sacrifice. You just bring yourself before Him and commit yourself as a living sacrifice to be holy and blameless before Him. But in this moment, as the church is reflecting, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Michael? If I'm being honest with myself, and actually if I'm being fruitful in church, I don't feel like I'm close to God. I don't feel like I'm found in Christ. I don't feel like I've discovered my divine design, that I know who I am in Christ, that I know whose I am. I don't feel like I am a child of God. Maybe for you, the Holy Spirit is in this moment 
stirring in your heart, tugging on your heartstrings. Maybe sometimes it makes your stomach feel sick. You're like, oh, what's going on? It's the Holy Spirit, and He's drawing you in, longing for that relationship. It's nothing you did. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It is a gift from God. Today, as people are praying and reflecting, I want us to take a bold step. You're in this house today, and you say, you know what, Michael? I I need you to pray for me because that's me. You're describing me. I'm far from God, and today is the day where I'm now close to Him where I want to feel him, where I want to walk out my purpose, where I want to be who he created me to be. I want this new life in Christ. I want the dead things to stay dead, and I want to rise again, a new creation. If that's you, would you lift up your hands? It's just a sign of faith, of boldness today, that that's me. I'm giving my life to Jesus, maybe for the first time or the second time, third time. I'm, I'm rededicating my life. That's me. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Now what we're going to do is we're all going to respond together. So we're going to stand to our feet. The heart behind you raising your hand was not to embarrass you. It's to start activating some faith because it takes a lot of courage to lift up your hand in signs of surrender and say, God, I'm just, I'm surrendering. Yes, that's me. I'm, that's me. Now that hand lifted doesn't save you. The Bible says that you must confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose from the grave and that he is Lord. And so you have to openly confess that. You can't confess with a closed mouth. You've got to tell somebody. You've got to open up your lips and declare it. And so our prayer team is making their way to the side walls. They're here for a couple of reasons. They're here to pray for the needs of the church. Maybe if you're being honest with yourself, you're like, man, I'm struggling. I've got some things that I just need God to do in my life. I've got healings and, and mountains I need broken through. And I just really need to pray for my family or, my, or for a sickness. They're here for that. But if you raise your hand, or maybe you should have, today's the day that you're going from death to life. You're now found in Christ. I would encourage you and challenge you to go and to pray with these guys. They have resources for you. Of course, they're going to pray. But they've got a Bible for you, a new believer's guide for you. We want to help you on this faith journey. And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to respond. We're going to go back into worship, and we're going to respond as the Spirit leads us. And so, Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this holy moment right here. That as your people now have heard your word, the Holy Spirit has now ministered and brought conviction and correction and encouragement to your children. We're going to respond by faith because we don't ever want it to be said of us that we're just a hearer of the word and not a doer. And so, Father, we're going to respond and worship to you because we were created to worship you. And we're thankful that the word is clear, that if if we're sick, if we're broken, if we're hurting, that you can touch us. You touch the untouchable today. So we thank you for that. Would you touch your children today as they worship you? Lord, we love you. We honor you. Right now, we pour out ourselves to you. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's worship Jesus today.